This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 230 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Shoot that horse. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. This week's show is sponsored by Equestrian Collections. Welcome to the Stable Scoop. With weekly shows delivered right to you With Helena and Glenn the Geek Live from the stable, it's every week They'll bring you the news through hail or high water While using their tails as their own fly swatters So sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable School Stable scoop. Stable scoop. Stable scoop. This is Glenda Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, Happy New Year, Helena. Happy New Year to you, too. How you doing, buddy? All right. It's been a while. It seems like forever since we've talked to each other. I, it's, what has it been, like August, September? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. It actually has been a while. And uh, uh, we're starting in our, we're in our fifth year of doing this show. Oh, I know. Fifth year. And Gracie something? turns 10 next week. Yeah, that'd be about right, because she was about five when we started, so... We've got milestones, man. We've got milestones. That's a Lots of things have changed yeah, since in, we started In both this. our lives. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've moved about five times, and... Uh, I moved once. Once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, horses. I mean, we've been... Well, we haven't been through as many bump. horses as you, so... <laughs> no, you guys go through houses, I go through horses. Horses, yeah. Um, but uh, we did find out that... Uh, see, we where the studios are here in Florida... We we do rent, and uh, we're going to be here through 2013 at least. So, Woo-hoo. so we'll be in one place for a while. And we absolutely love it where we are here in in Florida in this development, it and I'm awesome. especially loving it this week when it's 85 every day. <gasps> really? It's been 80 it's in the 85? 80s every day. Yes, yeah, so it gets into the upper 50s at night and 85 during the day. Well, I have to say that it's not 85 here in in Rhode Island. Um, <clears throat> I have lots of manure that's frozen to the ground at the barnyard. And I do have to give a shout out to my flex and fork. Yeah? I do have to give a shout out to my flex and fork. I have been digging at these manure popsicles, these poopsicles, and that flex and fork, man, will not break. It will not break. They are tough. You know, I call them indestructible, and then the owner of the company gets mad at me because he says, you can break them if you drive like a a Mack truck over them. I haven't. We, you and I have tried to break these things. I know we have. I we know. we have to burn a lot here because uh, we get a lot of branches off these live oak trees, and so we're constantly burning the branches. And I use them. I use the the flex and fork for the for the fire to move things around. And Jennifer's like, "You're going to melt that." I said, "Look at these tines. They haven't melted at all." So I don't know. I still think it's indestructible, despite what he says. Yeah. But yeah, frozen poop off the ground is one of the worst things ever to try and clean. It's so, so frustrating because I want to like clean up the barnyard in the worst possible way. And of course, I've had all three horses in there because there's ice and snow and I don't want to turn them out in the big field. And so there's a lot more poop in the barnyard than usual. So I'm like, oh, I got to clean this up. I got to clean this up. But you can't. So these frozen 
poopsicles just stay stuck oh, to the ground. Oh, and then when ground. they break free, they fly up in the air and hit you in the face. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You definitely have to keep your mouth closed when you're doing that. You've had a lot more snow than you did last year, too. You've, you've gotten uh, some winter weather. We had, I would say we had a total of probably like three inches on the ground, but it okay, froze okay. afterwards, and so it's and so it stayed. Ah, okay. Yeah. I thought you had more than that. I think Connecticut had a lot more than that. Yes, Connecticut did. Well, you're so close to the water, you don't get all the big, heavy snowfalls. Like No, we've had pr- probably on the two or three occasions where the rest of the region has had snow, we've had just plain rain, which is just as miserable. Yeah, and especially when it freezes. Yeah. You can drive in snow. Ice is not so much. Right. Well, today we're going back uh, in time. We're going to have a couple of guests on that we had on back in November the 8th of 2008. Uh, So over four years ago now, we had these guests on, and I'm surprised we never had uh, them back. But uh, we're having, uh, I I think it's Corinne, isn't it? Corinne. Corinne Shippers, who is the uh, person in charge of the Equine Photographers Network. And she's going to come on with us once a month and do a little photography tip for the average horse owner. So we're going to have her on here uh, to start the show. And then one of my favorite guests, he's been on a number of our shows now, done a bunch of tips for us over in Horse Tip Daily. His name is Scott Trees. He's one of the world's best equine photographers and a fun guy and has a ton of stories to tell. And he travels the world every year. So we're going to get him on to tell, tell us some of his stories from 2012. Uh, and to have a chat with him about photography and how it's changing with the advent of cell phones. Uh, so we're gonna. So it's all about photography today. Thus, the name of the show, with uh, which was was Helena's idea, not mine. Uh, well, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I'm feeling a little snarky today. And to keep with our theme today, a completely themed show. We also have a Tack and Habit product. Tack and Habit's back today, but it is camera related. So we're going all the way with photography today. But first, let me tell you about Tammy Serrance. Tammy Serrance is our host of the Western Radio Show, one of the hosts over there. And as we we have talked about here in the show before, she had an accident, a uh, car accident, where a drunk driver T-boned their car, <sighs> ran, a, ran a stoplight and T-boned, and she had really bad injuries to her head. And uh, this has been months now, and she's still having severe headaches and problems. She has to wear a, be- a tight beanie cap all the time. That keeps the pressure down. Oh, uh, God. Because she has nerve damage and everything. Uh, so <laughs> the doctors have, have an experimental surgery that they can do, and uh, they said it may help her. So it's experimental head surgery. Uh, but she, she, her insurance is has pretty much run out at this point, and she's going to have to foot the bill, and it's very expensive. So she uh, is doing a fundraising auction, or actually a bunch of friends of hers are doing a front fundraising raising auction for her. And you can go to Tammy Serrance, S-C-R-O-N-C-E, and see all the items that are up for auction now. There's a lot of cool stuff. You can bid on them right there. And anything you can do, you know, you're obviously going to get a cool item too, but anything you can do to help out Tammy would be appreciated. A lot of our sponsors here at the Horse Radio Network donated items. So there's there's a lot of cool stuff over there, and we hope that you can help uh, on Tammy's behalf. I, don't, I, I think she's going to be having some time off of the Western Radio Show here coming up. Uh, after the surgery they said she won't be able to ride for like three to six months uh 
after the surgery. Well, okay. And she, and she hasn't been doing much writing anyway because it's so her head hurts so bad. So her head hurts. Well, she said that when we did the um, all hosts episode that she was she wasn't looking forward to being out of the saddle again because of another surgery. But you know, if it keeps her in the saddle long term. You know, yeah. afterwards. And the thing with Tammy is, you know, she's a world champion many, 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 many times over uh, shooter. She's a world champion mounted shooter. And one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world. And she's very competitive about everything she does. So this last year, she has not been able to compete or do anything like that. So that's getting to her a little bit, too. You know, when you're a very competitive person all your life and then basically just have to sit. And, you know, she's been able to work but not not to do too much active stuff. So that's bugging her a little bit, too. So I hope she can get back in the saddle. And, and of course, the last thing you want to do when you have head issues is shooting. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, talking about loud. Uh, so, anyway, we, we would appreciate any support you could give Tammy. Uh, what else was there housekeeping-wise? Uh, I had a fascinating conversation this week, on the Wendy and I did, on the driving radio show. Got to, Let me tell you a little bit about that, and then we'll get to our first guest, because I haven't told you yet either. Have you ever watched the uh, show Ice Road Truckers? Yes, once. And there's a girl on it that show. It made me show. nervous. <laughs> yes, there's a girl on that show. The only woman on the show is uh, named Lisa Marie Kelly. She's from Alaska. And she's one of the stars. She is the star, in my opinion, of the show when we were watching it. Uh, and she also has participated in the World's Deadliest Roads, where they did the really crazy roads in South America and India. Um, and the sides of, you know, five, 10,000 foot drops and all that mm. stuff. Well, she contacted me about two weeks ago and said, I listen to your shows. And I, I didn't put two and two together about who she was till I looked her on Facebook and I went, that's the girl from Ice Road Trucker. She's a horse girl. And she drives, she has a, she drives horses up there and rides and she's really getting into driving. So she was listening. To, uh, she apparently when she takes her trip on the ice road, she actually does do that for a living. When she does her ice road trip, she brings podcasts along and listen to podcasts because there's no radio stations up there. Um, and and so she said, I have a bunch of questions for Wendy. So we had her as a guest on the driving radio show this week. So if you want to hear from Lisa Marie Kelly of Ice Road Truckers fame, uh, you can hear all about her life and what it's like to have horses in Alaska this time of year. That's so cool. Like, I, there's so many reasons for for Lisa as a guest to be cool. I don't know if being or having horses in Alaska or being on Ice Road Truckers or driving a truck that way. She's fun, too. In. I've gotten to know her a little bit. We, we actually chat almost every day now on Facebook. And she's, I, I'm going to talk out of school here um, a little bit. But she said uh, her husband was, he's a horse husband. And he's a, he's a like champion dirt biker. He does dirt bike competitions. Yeah. And apparently he was so excited because she has forced him to listen to so many of our shows. He was so excited that she was going to be on the Horse Radio Network. And he said, I am so excited about this. And she said to him, I've been on national TV. I have 150,000 Facebook fans. I've been on, driven some of the deadliest roads in the world. And he said, oh, that's boring. I'm, happy. I'm excited you're on the Horse Radio Network. Ah, I love this guy. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So <laughs> nice. She said, I think you have a closet fan. So <laughs> I said, us horse husbands have to stick together. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that fun, though? So That's you never know fun. who's listening, is what my point is. I know. Yeah. We should. Does that mean we have to uh, behave no. ourselves? Yeah. We never have before. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. 
Right. So thank you to all the listeners out there. If you, you know, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email. Uh, go to the website and just to use the contact page. We would love to hear from you and and your stories out there. And we'll have you on the show sometime because every horse person I believe has a story. Uh, and uh, you have to several. Out Some are. of us have several. <laughs> <laughs> so that's over at the drivingradioshow.com right now. All right, let's get to our first guest in a regular monthly series. We're starting a photography segment with uh, Kareen Shippers, uh, who is the founder of the Equine Photographers Network. Well, hi, Kareen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Stable Scoop Show. Good morning, Glenn. It's nice to join you again. Well, it's been a lot, a lot of years. It's been four years, actually, since uh, we first had you on the show. You were one of our first guests. We did a special show on photography, which we're reliving today because we're having the same guests that we did four years ago. Great. Well, Scott and I are still kicking and uh, photographing, so it's great to be back. Well, you, you and, and you have so kindly agreed for 2013. We're trying to mix up our lineup here a little bit and provide some new, different content. And you've agreed to do a monthly segment on photography for, for, for us normal people. Um, and you know, us normal horse people, and we're always trying to take pictures of our horses and our kids with our horses and at horse shows and things like that, yet we don't use real high-end cameras like the professionals in your organization do, and, you know, uh, and mostly people are using their phones nowadays. Right. Uh, um, but there's still things you can do to help your photos be better, isn't there? Oh, absolutely, and one thing that I wanted to discuss with you today is... Um just the preparation of the horse. Um, I tell a lot of people, you know, it's not one thing that makes a good horse photo, but it's all the little details that you have to kind of be aware of. And a lot of us don't see this until after we've taken the photo. So what we want to do is uh, let's talk about a good confirmation or a halter photo of a horse that maybe you're trying to sell it or you're, you know, going to a horse show, your horse is looking good, you want to get a good photo. So... You mean show. standing there with on three legs with the ears down is not necessarily terrific? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, there's little details that we, we take care of these things when we um, take our horse to a show. So figure when you're taking a, a photo of a horse, you kind of want to put the same amount of preparation into clipping him, grooming him. Even if he's a little hairy, give him a bath. Make sure he's clean because all those little spots of dust, streaks of dirt, they're all going to show up on that photo, and you're going to see it right away. So these are all the little details, clipping, grooming, um, and a really good-fitting halter or bridle makes a huge difference in just the overall presentation of the horse. Um, Once we have the horse all cleaned up and ready to go, we want to look around for our our location um, and also what the light is doing. So very often when I get ready to go on a farm job, I'll tell the people, I want you to look around your farm, pick out some pretty locations, and then watch the light for the day. Because there's some places where you want to shoot in the morning, some places where you want to shoot in the afternoon, and the light isn't always going to be right. So having 24 hours to kind of observe the light, see where everything is falling, you may not be able to shoot there at the time of day you were thinking. So this is kind of everything that you want to keep in your mind. So once you've picked your location, it's fairly uncluttered, um, scenic, you don't want a lot of wires, you don't want, you know, your farm equipment in the background. You don't need a large area for a standing horse. You know, a horse is only going to take up maybe 20 or 30 feet, so that's all we really need to work with. Very often, um, if you have an attractive fence, that will help in 
posing the horse to stand them right up against the fence, especially with a horse that isn't used to being posed at halter. So that will really help you line up the horse and have the photographer in a good position where the horse isn't moving back and forth so much. Now, when we're standing up the horse, the best thing for the photographer is to have a handler that really knows how to pose the horse and work with the horse, not get frustrated, not lose patience, and just take your time and stand the horse up. Um, halter posing is a lot harder than it looks, and there's photographers in the field of equine photography that really have made their living taking poses of standing horses. You know, we have Gail Bates that is well known for her quarter horses. Um, there's thoroughbred photographers that all they do is take standing horses of very valuable stallions that get stood at stud. And these photos, if they're done well, will sell the horse to people by just a photo. So keep this in mind. If you have a horse that you want to sell, you need to get a really good photo of that horse. And it makes a huge difference if you take the time to groom him, find a pretty spot, make sure the light is right, and take your time because once you start losing patience, then you're not going to get a good photo anymore. So well, I always tell people it's patience and perseverance to get that good horse photo. Now, to get back to something you alluded to earlier, we're going to talk about a lot of the things, the lighting and all that stuff as we go into right. uh, future segments. But one of the things you, you made a comment on is, you know, quarter horses, thoroughbreds and Arabs and all the way down the line. When you're doing the standing shots like that, are you looking for something different in the different breeds or is a horse a horse? Well, that's a good question. You know, knowing horses will help you, you know, go a long way taking pictures because the breeds do have their own standards. And it's good to go to like a breed website like the Arabian uh, org or whatever the breed registry website is, and they'll show you what the breed standard is. With thoroughbreds and warm blood sport horses, that you're looking for an open stance, which you see all four legs and there's daylight between the legs. We're talking about the profile view. Now, in quarter horses, you're more used to seeing them in a very square stance, very often shot at a three-quarter angle. With Arabs, you want to see them, um, the two front legs are perpendicular to the ground, and then the back leg, the off leg, is out behind the near leg. Um, or No, I guess it's the near leg is out behind the off leg. Um, and then in like breeds like Morgan, Saddlebreds, Tennessee Walkers, they're all stretched. So you do, you do need to do a little bit of homework to see what the breed standard is. And this is where, you know, just knowledge of horses really comes in handy. And I found that many, you know, photographers, uh, they love the horses first and photography kind of came second. So if you love the horses, you know the horses, you've got the horse knowledge, then the photography it's going to come fairly easy to you because you can predict horse behavior. You, you know, understand what the breed standards are, what, you know, the magazines are publishing. So this is very helpful in getting good, good photos of horses. So do you want, uh, you know, we're talking today about prepping the horse, obviously giving them a bath and making sure the tail and the mane are brushed and things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you want feet painted? Um, well, you know, if, if you have a, a show horse and that's something that you normally do, absolutely. It really depends on um, what you're trying to sell. And very often, you know, if I'm doing a, a farm shoot and we have a, a bunch of horses that are for sale, I just, you know, I, I make sure that they're well-groomed and it's really up to the owner to see how far they want to go with that. With Arabians especially and some of these, you know, Morgans and Saddlebreds, I mean, they do the, they Vaseline the head and they, I mean, some breeds even use glitter. And that's really kind of a 
personal choice for the owner. I think the most important thing is that the horse just looks well-groomed, healthy, alert in the photo, and just gives a good impression. You know, the first impression from a photo will either sell the horse or make people not interested. And especially, you know, if you're trying to sell a horse far, far away, the photo is the only thing that your client is going to see. And especially also with uh, stallions, I mean... Uh, you you want to show the horse at its best, and I you know I don't know why a lot of stallion owners don't invest in good photography because even if they sell one stud fee for that from that photo, then they've you know paid for the paid for the price of the session. So I highly recommend if you're you know trying to uh, uh, promote a stallion or, or sell a horse, then if you can't do a good job yourself, then definitely get a professional to help you because in the long run it'll I save you a lot of headaches and quite a bit of money, too. So, Very good. Well, what's going on this month coming up at the Equine Photographers Network? Well, there's always lots of stuff going on here. Um, this week we started a Photoshop online course with Sharon Shepard, who is an um, incredible digital artist from California. And there is actually still today and tomorrow to sign up for that. And then at uh, the end of the month we have... Scott Tree's uh, The Art of Seeing Light coming on. These are both online courses. You work at your own pace. Um, you are sent tutorials, and um, we have an online discussion forum. So everything is done online. So even if you live um, you know, in any time zone, you can do the work whenever you want. So it, uh, the online way to learn is uh, really puts so much knowledge at people's fingertips. It's very exciting. And then also... Um, we're a little late this year, but we're hoping to go live with our equine photo contest soon also. So, and tell, tell people that. how they become a member of, of the Equine Photographers Network. And you, do you, oh. you don't have to be a professional photographer, right? No, absolutely not. Most of our members are hobbyists and amateurs and all the way up to full-time pros. And everybody who's interested in equine photography is welcome to join us. Um, if you go to equinephotographers.org, uh, there's a join link there. You can take a free 30-day trial. And we also have a very active um, Facebook presence for the Equine Photographers Network. So you can like us there. And there's always uh, new photos from our members being posted and links on photography. And we try to keep everybody kind of uh, updated on what's going on in the world of photography, which these days is kind of hard to keep up with. Yeah. So every day there seems to be something new and exciting. So. <laughs> Very good. Well, you can find that all at equinephotographers.org. That's equinephotographers.org. Thank you, Corrine. We'll talk to you again next month. Thank you, Glenn. Take care. Well, there. We hope that helps you out a little bit. And right after this word uh, with the product of the week from Equestrian Collections, we have Scott Trees, one of the world's leading equine photographers. <laughs> Hi, Glenda Geek here, and I am with Debbie from Equestrian Collections with the Equestrian Collections Product of the Week. And we're going medical this week, aren't we? Yes, we are. I wanted to feature the Vetricin Wound and Infection Hydrogel. All of this Vetricin stuff is really good. I, it's amazing. And not only do I know that it works, but all of my Facebook friends go nuts over this stuff. And the reason I'm featuring the Hydrogel this week is because it has a different thing going for it that some other ones of these don't. It's expensive, but it's worth it. This hydrogel stuff, you spray it on like it was liquid, and it comes out like a liquid. But when it comes out, it's a very light gel so that when you put it in the wound, it actually sticks to the wound. It doesn't 
you know, like drip down. Like, so mm-hmm. if you have a wound that's up underneath or one that's hard to get to, you can use this and you can get a really good covering of the wound with the hydrogel. I have not had anyone who I have heard that has used this that hasn't come back and said, oh my goodness, this is the best thing ever. You can use this on all your furry friends and feathered friends. You can use it on horses, dogs, cats, birds. It's just amazing, and it's clean stuff. I would highly recommend it. Give it a try. And I know the one nice thing about the Vetresin uh, is that you can use it in, in areas that are flexible, your joints and yes. ankles and knees and things like that, and it provides that extra barrier even for flies and things as well, too. Yeah, that- you know what? I had uh, exactly that. I had a little cut on my mare's uh, on the inside of her hawk, and every time she would walk, she would pull that thing open. And I got this stuff and used it, and within just a week, it was it was healed. I I can't say enough about it. I would definitely try it. Keep it in your um, tack room. Keep it in your uh, first aid kit uh, when you're on the road as well. Just go to EquestrianCollections.com and search for Hydrogel, H-Y-D-R-O-G-E-L, and you'll find the Vetresin Wound and Infection Hydrogel, and you can pick up a bottle of it there. Well, Scott, welcome back to the show. It's been four years. It has, Glenn. It's been a while, hasn't it? Now, you've done uh, other shows with us and done a lot of tips over at Horse Tip Daily, but for the Stable Scoop Show, you were one of our first guests on episode number 13. And uh, we Lucky could... 13. All yeah. right. See, there you go. <laughs> and now we're in 2013. <laughs> but it's been a long time. You are, you know, a lot of the people listen to more than one show will know you from, from the tips you've done and, and, and appearances you've made on the other shows. But uh, you're one of the, the world's, I always say, the world's best equine photographers. And uh, you travel the world every year. We love to hear about your exploits because you're always getting into something. So tell yeah, us. It's, it's, it's been a, a unique career, that's for sure. Tell us a little bit about 2012. What was that like for you? Well, 12, 12 was an interesting year, kind of a transitional year. I didn't travel quite so much. I was in the Middle East in the earlier part of the year doing some work. Um, but came back and decided I wanted to sort of push a switch into a side of my business that a, a lot of people don't know, really understand that I do, which is video-based work. And I've done video almost as long as I've done stills. And in some ways, I will say I think I'm better at video than stills. But I think it's a great storytelling venue, and I've seen a major switch into um, the video online now has become so, so much more um, easy to use. And in, in 1996, when I first saw the internet, the first words out of my mouth were, how soon can I put video on there? And in fact, I was point, one of the you first... you couldn't. You didn't have enough yeah. bandwidth. It would take you three days well, to upload a video. <laughs> it, but actually, I did. I was one of three companies, CNN, me, and somebody else. We had video online, but you had to be a major geek to get it out, and you really had to be patient to watch it. I mean, you know, it was, it was impossible. But of course, it's, you know, now it's 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 just changed even in the last two years. The the bandwidth has become available. The compression ratios and the logarithms are working to where it's it's very um, it's very good quality and it's you know certainly easier to see and watch. And so I, I did some programs this year. I did some highlight videos of uh, the Scottsdale Arabian Horse Show, uh, the Egyptian Event Show, and the. Um, the new Arabian Horse Celebration Show, kind of as mini-documentary-style shoots to 
uh, a kind of educate the market as to what can be done to a series that I'm working on called Because of Horses, which is a basically an offshoot of my show when I was the featured artist at Kentucky Horse Park in 2009. That show was called Because of Horses. And it was basically... Which I got to see, be- actually. Yeah. You got to see yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. And, and so the, the, the gist of that show was that because of horses, I've seen the world, I've traveled the world, and I've met these experience, had these experiences. And there's a lot of incredible stories out there, I mean, of people that I would never have met that might not even have anything to do with horses, but because of, because of horses, I was there and met them. And so I'm, I'm, I'm in the initial shooting phases and, and of getting those stories put together because I think people would be interested. Well, it's funny because Helene and I were just talking earlier in the show about how every horse person we believe has a story. There's a story behind every horse person. There is a story behind every horse person, and, and it's interesting to talk to people about how, how horses have affected their lives, and, and they've affected lives in so many ways. And, um, you know, I just, I mean, essentially, while the the majority of my shooting has been advertising-based, I mean, I always enjoy my journalistic shoots because it was an opportunity to tell a story. And, mm. you know, the difference as a photographer to a video uh, shooter slash editor slash producer is that as a photographer, I have to tell that story in one image. And as a video guy, I have to tell that story in a series of consecutive images. And, you know, there's not a lot of people that can switch hats quickly and do both, and I'm you know, blessed with a good eye and, and a good editing sense, and so it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. But you know, those, those, I've, I've been working you know, toward that effort and, and a lot of educational stuff this year. I mean, I've got, you know, I hate to admit how many years I've been doing this, but I've got a lot of experience, and I'm willing to share it. Now, you, you were talking about video versus stills. Video just, to me, seems like so much more work. I mean, it, in post-production, yeah, and editing is oh, so yeah. difficult to get it right and make it good. It's it, a moving target. Yeah. It's yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's interesting. As a photographer, essentially, when I'm done with the shoot, I'm really basically done. I yeah, mean, either the you have will, it or you don't. I mean, <laughs> right. right. And the well, client's yeah. going to look at the proofs. And, you know, I'm going to have to work on the images, but, you know, you're done. As a video guy, my work is really just getting started. And it's one thing, you have to have two things. First of all, you have to have good footage. And as a shooter slash editor, you, you also understand that you can never have too much footage. And then number two, you have to sit down and figure out how you're going to put that story together. And as with photography, which has become very simple and you know, everybody thinks, oh, there's nothing to it. And a lot of the you know, softwares, Macs, these kinds of things come with iMovie and some of this basic software editing, which certainly makes it easier. But most people without realizing it are, are dealing with a fairly sophisticated viewing audience. I mean, they see the best and the worst that television has to offer. But it's all put together pretty well, and it's edited well, it's paced well, um, you know, and there's a real art to keeping attention, and especially in today's attention deficit world of the Internet. I mean, I was just reading an article not too long ago. I think they figure when you upload a site and start to deliver a video, you've got eight seconds to get that thing up there for them to watch it or they're going to leave it. Yep. And then, and then once they get in there it better be interesting or you've got about 30 seconds max or they're gone. So there's a, definitely an art to it for sure. 
Now, and and length of video is so important too. We we talk about right. that in relation to people trying to sell to horses and things like that. You cannot right. make twenty minute videos, people. They're no, watch no. It. Actually, for a, a sale horse, <laughs> in my opinion, if you're doing a video on a sale horse, two minutes is plenty long enough. Yeah, it's actually a long time to look at one horse. Trust me, I've and looked at plenty of them. <laughs> and yeah, you want exactly. to see walk, try. it's like walk, walk, walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show me the camera. Yeah. Let's get to it. Everybody. Yeah, right. It does this, it does that. <laughs> I want to see how if many you're times lame or not. Is it going to go back and forth? You know, I mean, the whole purpose, and I think people need to realize, which has always been my approach as an advertising person, which I learned from working with all these art directors and commercial work many years, is that you know the purpose of the ad is to get attention. And and we, I think, in the horse industry, sometimes forget that we are in fact selling a product. And that product happens to be a horse, either for sale or for stud or, or for, for performance, whatever it might happen to be. But the purpose is to get a customer's attention, to get them to pick up the phone and give you a call to close the sale. And so, you know, I would rather do a video where people go, gosh, I'd like to see more. Let's watch it again, rather than get halfway into it and go, okay, I've seen enough. Next hmm. horse. That makes sense. It's, it's mm-hmm. a very good point because there is, I think, more than ever – now you really have to understand your audience. Like you said, there is a sophisticated viewing audience and you have to, because um, the media that we work with is so interactive, right, you right. really have to consider who is watching your stuff a lot more than Who's watching it. And, you have, and, and, you, and take before. a look at the horse industry in general. It's dominated by females. I shoot my pictures and do my videos for women. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's simple. I mean, it's just taking um, yeah. some consideration instead of broadcasting, which was right. the old traditional ways, you know, that now it's, I, I mean, I, I almost kind of want there to be another word for it because it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really not, I mean, it's the internet and you know, it's funny. I've, I've always said, you know, it's not print, it's not television, it's the internet. And, you know, and the reality too is, is that the mass the vast majority of people are going to be looking at these on their mobile devices, on their iPads or their iPhones or something. Yeah, with their 740p screens and, you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, I mean, this, the whole, the whole thing is changing so dramatically and, and that's a challenge for all of us in this industry, especially those that have been in us as long as I have, to learn how to adapt to that industry and, and make it a viable business. Because there's, you know, when I first started shooting, you know, a year or two ago, um, there was, um, you know, there weren't many shooters. I mean, it, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of competition. And now, you know, it's hard to find somebody that's not a professional photographer or videographer anymore. Everybody's a pro. And so, you know, you have to adapt your business models and you have to try and get things to, to modify, to grow with the business. And, and, you know, fortunately, I've always had kind of been ahead of the pack in many ways in, in my career. And, you know, I see video as becoming a very critical part of, you know, branding your business. It's interesting that you say that, too, because we cover Rolex every year, and in mm-hmm. uh, which is the big three-day event in Kentucky at the park. Yeah. And... You know, in the press pool, in those of us with press passes, it, it has become that there are more photographers than there are reporters. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I was actually at an event in, uh, in Doha, Qatar, and there were more photographers in the ring than there were judges. I mean, I have a picture of it, actually. I thought, this is, this is amazing. You know, I mean, over here where, you know, the, the photographers tend to get territorial about horse shows, that over there, I mean, and, and forget getting a wind shot. I mean, they let everybody and their uncle in for a wind shot. And over there, they really all they really care about is getting a good shot of the shakes they, and the rulers that happen to be in the picture. <laughs> and they want they as really many of those care. as possible. <laughs> right. They could care less if the horse looks good or not. So you've got the TV guys that all get about three feet away, 
and you know because they want that wide shot so because it's handheld and it's impossible to get a good shot. But I mean, there, there might be forty photographers in there buying for a picture, so it, it's like, oh no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> let's talk. But, let's talk a little bit before we get too much further. Um, let's yeah. go back, rewind a little bit to the Scottsdale Arabian show that mm-hmm. you did at the beginning of last year. That's coming up here this year in a couple of weeks. And right. It, it, give people a perspective of how big that show is. It's that show huge. is that show is enormous. They do a really good job of bringing people to the event. Um, they have a first of all, it's a big show. There's as a rule, there's close to two thousand horses there. Um, they have tremendous um, vendors and display tents. Great food. Of course, it's Scottsdale in February. You can't ask for better weather, although it can rain and be awful sometimes. But that's the the exception, not the rule. And then you've got pretty horses running around, you know. So it's it's uh, the the people, the spectators have a chance to walk in and around the barns and see the horses. And it's they've really done a great job of you know making it a spectator event. Well, and and if anybody hasn't been to a Arabian show before. <laughs> You will never see barns decorated as fancily, if that's a word, as they oh, yeah. are at the barns at an Arabian show. They oh, spend yeah, no. thousands <laughs> of dollars to decorate the yeah. barns. Well, yeah, the Arabians no, they, are like the honey boo-boos of the horse yeah, they're, 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 <laughs> I love it. That's pretty good, really. <laughs> that's fantastic, yeah. I was going to say the high fashion models, but I kind of like the honey boo boo. There's a honey boo boo element. I mean, we okay, got you can send yeah. your, oh God, no, you that's can send your letters to a sophisticated breed. Don't get me wrong; I, I adore them. But there is a honey boo boo element there. Send your oh, letters to Helena at horseradionetwork.com. I with that. But, <laughs> but and, and then I also just finished. You know, I know you've talked to Corinne on your show from Equine Photographers Network, yep. and you know we collaborate on that big Colorado workshop every year, which is amazing. Tell us about and that. And I just finished. I just finished doing a commercial for that. And I actually shot video last year. I'm going to do. I'm doing a little bit of a documentary as I get time on it because it's such an amazing event. But I just finished that. And Corinne's been using that to promote the workshop. But that's sort of one feature, one element I look forward to every year. Tell everybody workshop. what that it's is. It's just amazing. <clears throat> Tell everybody what that is. Well, it's the Sombrero Workshop that, that's sponsored by Equine Photographers Network that's held in Craig, Colorado. And Sombrero Ranch is one of the last working ranch, horse ranches of its kind in the country. And what they do is they bring their horses in during the last week of April, usually the first week of May, from their winter pastures down to their um, roundup area to vet them out, uh, buck them out, they're not wild horses. They've been ridden. They're basically horses that are given to dude ranches and ranch to horses, yeah. rides and those kinds of things, and then hunts in the fall. I mean, these horses basically work about three or four months a year. And so uh, we've arranged to have for our students, and the first part of the week, we'll do things like they'll have a couple hundred horses, and I'll have the cowboys and cowgirls come, you know, barreling down a valley with you know, 200 horses at a dead run for my students. And I create all kinds of different setups for these students of herds of horses and cowboys. And just it's just an amazing opportunity to photograph a slice of Western lifestyle. And also the only other place in, in all the years I've shot all over the world that I've had access to these kinds of herds, this size of herd was uh, communist Russia and Poland. And so like last year's ride, the last part of the, uh, week is they bring the horses 50 miles from their upper pastures 
to the ranch. And the first 25 miles is in the beautiful back roads of uh, near Craig, Colorado, in that mountain area. And then the last 25 miles is right down old Highway 40. <laughs> and last year we brought 850 head of horses. Wow. And, and one year um, we had, I think, 1,200 horses. And to see that many horses in one place is just, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And to get to photograph them and hear their sounds. And, you know, on my Facebook page is a, an earlier clip. I think it's probably from June where I said, if you've ever wondered what 800 horses look like, they actually bring them to a small town of Maybell, Colorado. And I said, here it is, unedited. And I, as the horses started to come through town, and, you know, I just let a camera run as they, until they came through. And I think it takes four or five minutes for this thing to run through to have that many horses come through town. I mean, it's just hard to, it's hard to fathom how many horses that is. It's amazing. And one of my favorite events to do. Wow. You know, that's something that uh, most horse people will never see in their lifetimes. It really, it isn't. And, and, it's, and it's, it's dwindling. I mean, there aren't many horse ranches of that size and magnitude anymore. Nope. And, you know, it is these, you know, the cowboys and cowgirls that come up there are the real deal. And, and they, are, they bend over backwards for us to, you know, the, the head wrangler, Ed, is... Uh, you know, I'll look at him and say, now, Ed, I'd, I'd like, can you, can you bring 50 horses across that water there for me? And, you know, herd him up in the corner, and he'll look at me and say, yeah, Scott, I believe I can do that. And by God, he does it, you know. So imagine standing at the edge of a stream and having 50 horses at a dead run come through it. Um, <laughs> with cowboys and, and cowboys and leading behind and, you know. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing. And sometimes we've actually had students come back to it because they were so overwhelmed the first year at what they got to see that they really, you know, said, I got to come back and do this again. So it's, it's well worth it. And I know it's on at the Corinne's website, the Equine Photographers Network. She has it there and I'm sure she'll talk about it. If you guys, I'm sure she's talked about it to you, but it's uh, it's quite an experience. I mean, it's kind of a once in a lifetime thing actually. And I have the video. I'll post it on the stable scoop Facebook. Okay, page good. As well. Yeah. So perfect. I'll, I'll post perfect. That, which it Thank is, you. it is fascinating. Of course, you know, these are horses that what's neat about these horses, they work four months a year and then they get to be horses the rest of the year. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's mm. the beauty to me because you know, there's, I mean, I've photographed show horses my whole life and it's been kind of a dichotomy because you know, show horses don't get to live like horses most of the time. I mean, the high-end show horses are kind of kept in stalls, and, you know, they get to, they take, taken out when they're worked, and they just don't necessarily get to be horses all the time. And, and here are these guys, you know, that basically they live in their winter pasture. They go out, and they determine how many horses, based upon how much grass is in these pastures, and they're huge pastures, that they think the pastures can hold for the winter. And they don't feed them, and they don't water them. And... Unless it's an extreme weather situation, but for the most part, this is kind of like a little banana belt of weather here. So, you know, and you'd be, you'd be amazed when you look at the video of that, the Maybale shot of the horses coming through town. They're all fit and healthy. I mean, you know, horses can, can uh, I've always kind of felt that show horses are kind of like a hothouse plant. If you treat it like a hothouse plant, it reacts like one. I mean, and I've had situations where, you know, some high-powered horse, and I said, well, let's turn them loose. And it's like, oh, my God, they might get hurt. And you go, are you serious? I mean, this is a horse. It, it knows how to run. It's you one know? of the things, so too, you know, that goes right along with, we. you know, my wife and I sort of, and we'll get arguments about this from everybody, uh, kind of believe that people over-blanket their horses now. You know, the, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They I were, mean, they're... They were born to do this. They got along 
a long time without all this stuff. <laughs> and and what's neat too is you know you see these horses and and it's fun to watch when when they're moving these big hordes. It's horses herds of horses. It's kind of neat because you'll see the heavy horses get together. And you know I've done this long enough now that you you kind of recognize horses and you and you see that they're with their buddies. You know. And so, so they're, they're kind in of clicks. We have together. the fat click and the the preppy click and the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they got their clicks you know and and <laughs> the other thing aside one of the things that really kind of amazed me one year actually when I was shooting videos so I was being a little bit more aware of the sound was the sound of that many horses coming at you and the whinnies of them trying to find their friends and they're nickering and you know and then they'll stop for a water break and. You know, you'll hear these horses whinnying for their friends, and then they find them, you know, and pretty soon after about 10 or 15 minutes of this kind of cacophony of sound of buddies trying to find each other, it all sort of settles down, you know, and it's quiet again. And then, and then when they make a move on again, and they kind of lose their friends again, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, I could talk long, long, long about it, but if, 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 if it's an opportunity that somebody has, and you don't have to be a professional photographer to attend it, we have all levels of photographic experience, and um, you know the Nikon. One of the main Nikon people brings gear for people to try out, and it's it's just it's an amazing experience. That's a good opportunity for to, to try stuff out because if you're not 100 percent comfortable with what's available out there, at least you get to see this stuff, you get to at touch least you it. Get to try it, it. It's, yeah, it's less intimidating and might it might even inspire you. So just yeah, and, up and plus his that. technical knowledge is amazing. So I mean, you know, you can really sit down and ask him some stuff that you know that and get the answers, which is always nice. So now um, let's talk a little bit about something that we really notice when uh, Jennifer and I get to go to Disney a lot now. Uh, we have our annual passes. We live about an mm-hmm. hour from, from Disney World, and we've always been Disney fanatics. So, mm-hmm. And, what, boy, what a switch I've seen even in the last, I'd say, five years from people. You know, five years ago, you'd see point-and-shoot cameras. You'd see everybody with right. their, their $200 point-and-shoot cameras. And now this last time, I, t- I took a mental note and really looked around. First of all, there isn't a event or a stage show or anything that goes on that there aren't 5,000 phones in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and phones are it. I mean, there, there's nobody, and I'm going to say there's, there's 90% of the people there were using their phones. And I do right. it. I mean, I forget my camera now because I know I have my phone. Um, yes, exactly. And now, you know, they just came out. Samsung just introduced at this CES, this Consumer Electronics Show going on right now in Vegas, just introduced a new new phone that has a 13-megapixel camera in it. Um, and and Whew, some that's really, really good that's lenses. That's enormous. I know. Yeah. And some really good lenses. And we're talking, you know, a 5-inch phone. So yeah. what, do you, what do you think about this whole thing? And, and where you know, what a professional photographer is looking at all of this and going, <laughs> you know, what what... What are they what do you, doing? Yeah. yeah. Well, if you if you if you go back a bit in history, the first digital camera that was made was a was a back that was made by Kodak for either a Nikon or a Canon body. It was two point three megapixels and it cost twenty five thousand dollars. Uh, my first <laughs> digital camera <laughs> professionally was a Canon ten D that was two oh let's see three megapixels. And it was, um, I think, $3,000 then. And then the next jump up was eight. And what? I think the iPhone 5 now has eight megapixels in it. So, you know, what's happening is that um, it's a couple things. Number one, yes, you don't see many point-and-shoot cameras anymore. The point-and-shoot market's really been taking a hit. 
everybody has their iPhones for not just for stills but for video as well. And then of course the whole, you know, we're going to share our life on Facebook with, with with everybody, and we can post these up here. But I think what's happening to a lot of professionals, Glenn, is that there's also at that level of the, the you know the the cost of equipment of, of the good equipment has also come down. I mean, it used to be when I went to a photo session, there was no question I was going to have the best gear there. Not necessarily true anymore. Um, and you have a lot of wannabe photographers. You have a lot of amateur pros that are pretty good that just want to have something to do in the you know on the weekends to do something they enjoy. And so there's a whole lot more competition out there now. And there's a whole lot of you know I've always and, and in my seminars that I teach I say okay look you have a choice to make. Do you want to be a picture taker, which are a dime a dozen, or do you want to be a picture creator? Now, the picture takers are a dime a dozen out there, like I say, and one of the things I've kind of seen in the horse magazines is that good enough is becoming acceptable. And, oh, that's, and that's because of the Internet, too. I mean, directly related exactly. to the Internet because people have gotten used to not quite good enough. Right. Not, yeah, good enough is acceptable. Yeah. And, you know, and in, and in some cases it is. I mean, in, in, many, in many times, you know, there's, and I've, one of the things that, that people will see something great happen in their yard, their horse is doing something pretty, and they have a chance to get it now. And they have a chance to get it with their iPhones. Now, the, the biggest problem with iPhones and even the point-and-shoot cameras is, the, you know, the delay and shutter lag of the, um, you know, from the time you push it to the to the. I'll tell you what, it, though, they're course, cutting that down too. The iPhone five oh, are, are much quicker. <laughs> they are. I mean, yeah. and what's where it's really going, and where it's really going to change everything, especially for people like me whose livelihood depends on timing, is that the the newer digital SLRs, the the new Canons, the new Nikon's, and and you know, some of these Sony. I mean, all these all these manufacturers, but the, the Canon and Nikon are the two I'm more familiar with have really come out with amazingly good video quality in their DSLR cameras. And probably the one that is um, the kind of been leading the pack for a while is the Canon 5D. And, for example, that movie that was out last year, Act of Valor, that entire movie was shot on Canon 5Ds. As a, you know, so it was a, a $3,000 camera as opposed to a $100,000 Panavision camera. So the quality of, of these cameras is amazing, and the, and the video quality is amazing. And what's going to happen gradually and is that you're going to be able to pull a magazine-quality freeze frame off of video, and we're not too far from that happening. And I, and I would be willing to bet you that within five years, you're going to have a Pulitzer Prize-winning photograph that was taken off a freeze frame of video in a DSLR. Wow. wow. I mean, that's where it's going. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a big, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge with that is that really video frames per frame don't have to be that sharp because, I mean, it's, it's a motion frame. But, you know, you're getting cameras out there now that can shoot 50, 60 frames a second or faster in some cases. And so, you know, when that happens and each frame is very sharp, it's going to make a difference. So then it's just a matter of getting resolution up there. But, you yeah, know, we, just the technology is changing so fast that it's, it's astounding. We it's talk, hard to keep up with it. Well, and what's, what's accommodating that, uh, not to get too geeky here, but we got three geeks on the phone. So. <laughs> um, what's accommodating that is memory storage. We, you know, memory yes. storage, one, has gotten uh, smaller and thus more. I mean, you couldn't have done this uh, five years ago with just the memory no. storage that we had. And it's getting so cheap. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's sort of been, the, but that's been the pattern in technology is something comes out, and that's since the dawn of 
technology. Something comes right. out, it's super expensive. There are early adopters. And then as it be, you know goes to mass manufacture, the price comes down and it sort of becomes part of the culture. What's interesting about today's technology and especially, I think, the psychology behind images, capturing images, whether they're moving images or still images, is that, like you said, a lot of people are taking photos to share their lives. They're not necessarily putting forth an artistic expression. Some are. Right. But right. it's right. the technology is changing the way is actually changing our culture and the way we interact with one another. And so whether you're selling a horse or you're, you know, showing where you are or, you know, um, whatever, what, what you're doing at that particular moment, there's still room. Like you said something earlier before about, um, you know, how much you can take like a still photograph is really uh-huh. your perspective versus video right. it, it, is a story. Yeah. yeah, a still shot is that one moment. You're, you're freezing that moment in time. And, you know, the other difference that I think you're going to see is also how we display these photographs. You know, everybody carries their iPad, right. their, their, their photo albums are in their phones. Right, right. You know, um, and it's a great tool. I mean, in my iPad, I can carry my portfolio. If somebody says, well, what do you do? It's like, well, here, you know, I've got, I've got you know, I don't have to carry around a portfolio anymore. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, I'm excited by it. I mean, I, I'm one of those guys that thinks, my God, what are my grandkids going to be dealing with when they're my age? You know, what yeah. are they going to take for granted, you know? But, um, All right, it, so it, the, it, the big question is, do you ever take pictures with your iPhone? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. But actually, to tell you the truth, not many. I was one of those that, you know, I mean, what my, I'm, you know, as, as te- techie as I can be, I still have an iPhone 4, I must admit. Um, and so um, I had a little Canon G10 that I just loved because I could throw it in my bag and it wasn't heavy because I do get tired of carrying around um, big old cameras. And one of the things that years and years and years ago, um, before I had cancer, I shot Leicas and I had a, a Leica M6. I actually had a lot of Leicas. That was what actually I had to sell my camera gear when I had cancer. That was worse than the cancer. But I had a Leica M6, and I loved it because it was small, and nobody ever really thought it was a real camera, and it wasn't obtrusive. You know, today's DSLRs, you put those things up with those, you know, those big lenses on them, and it's kind of hard to be inconspicuous. <laughs> so, you know, I I liked this little G10 because it was um, it was small. It had I think it was a I think it was 15 megapixels and you know, had great quality and gave, you know, it was good for snapshots. And, I mean, I did some really fun shots. I, one year at that Sombrero workshop, my, I, was, I wanted to show the students something. So I was shooting that camera, and all these students were giving me a hard time about, oh, my God, you know, what are you doing? Look at that little camera, ha, 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 until I showed them the pictures. And the point was, it, it's, it's, you know, it's not, the, it's not the arrow, it's the Indian. You know, and it's so it it is. I got some amazing shots with that camera, and and um, uh, stolen, unfortunately. But it 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 they're you know I preferred that. Although I'm sure these new iPhones now they say they're faster, and and I I, I do use it. And it's funny sometimes I'll do I'll forget. I think oh I wish I had a camera. It's like well, Phil, you've got your iPhone. Use it. Yeah, well, you're so, going to be amazed when you get the iPhone 5 of the difference. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. looking forward to that. I'm going to get one in the spring. Yeah. But um, I think that's when my contract's up. But um, Helena, i got to tell you, there is mm. one of my favorite pictures of Scott's, and it's not a picture he took. It's a picture that was taken of him. It, and it's one of my favorite pictures, and it was done, actually, it was done at the uh, Sombrero uh, Photo Workshop in Colorado. 
and it was taken of Scott. He's kneeling down in this field, and you can just picture that the the the, the straws up above his head almost. Uh-huh. And he's got his tripod there, and he's got his big cameras with the big lenses and everything. He's got one sitting there doing video. He's holding another one. He's taking a picture, <laughs> and you know exactly which where I'm going with this. And uh-huh. right beside him was mm-hmm. his 92 year old mother sitting in the grass right. taking a picture with her point and shoot. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it was a beautiful no, exactly. Picture, Thank you, thank you, and and uh, you know she's an amazing lady. I mean, that's where uh, she's been an inspiration in my life, and 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 she's like she goes up there every year, and you know it's kind of like everybody runs and says hi to mom, and it's like oh well hi I'm here too, you know hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a great picture of her and you you with your yeah, big cameras is, I and love her that. with her little I have, one. I have that picture in my office. I love that picture. <laughs> And your mom doing okay at 93? She's now? doing great. Yeah. She's doing great. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm in North Carolina now at my daughter's. Uh, we're helping her out while she studies for the bar. I brought my mom out so she could see the grandkids. And I took mom and one of my granddaughters with me on a shoot last weekend. And we had a blast. And, um, you know, we were out there and she was, she was out there doing each shoot, just sitting there watching. So, uh, you know, she's doing great. And I appreciate you asking. So where does uh, to to wrap this up? Where does where do professional photographers make money in the future in five years from now? It's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, we're all scratching our heads and wondering. You know, I think part of it for for I, older pros like me. I mean, and, and let's be honest. I'm 62. I mean, I'm I've been doing this a long time, and I'm not being negative. But I'm in, I'm at the the down the downward side of my career and my life i mean you know i'm not i'd like to live to be 150 but i won't be so you know it's um you know you have to take a look at what i'm looking at is that i have a lot of experience and i'm willing to share it and i'm and i'm a good teacher and i think you're going to find um that that is going to be i think for some of the older pros is an area they're going to go there's still going to be the need and i think you're going to find that the 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 difference between the takers and the creators i think what you're going to have to do is be uh, better at marketing yourself and setting your work out from everybody else's i I think it will be require that you definitely i I still come back to who's going to buy it who who, who's buying it then who's 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 buying it yeah well magazines are all going online which they are which means that you again you don't need that quality that you needed for print Right, you know, we're, and and also the magazines, you know, are, are are getting spoiled. I mean, and not just the magazines, but for example, last year or was it the year before last? I think it was last year. CNN laid off fifty staff photographers because they were getting what they wanted for free over the internet from people that just wanted to be there. And you know, Glenn, it's a tough question. It's a, it's a question I ask myself every day. You know, what where where to take things? I mean, I'm I'm very grateful to have had the career I had when I haven't, I think it would be extremely difficult in all honesty to be starting a career as a professional photographer today. And I would never ever tell anybody, don't try it. Because I mean, I was able to live my dream to be a photographer, but it's not as easy as it was when I started, what, 45 years ago. And so, um, you know, it's, it is a, it's a different world out there, but I mean, there's always, you know, niche marketing for sure. I mean, you know, um, go after markets that, that not everybody can do. And, you know, the, the horse market is a niche market, but again, there's certainly a lot more photographers. So, you know, 
I mean, I don't, I don't have an answer. I really don't. It's, and what, I, it's and what Helena and I tell uh, every every horse crazy girl coming up through high school, wanting to have a career in horses, is have a backup plan. And you have a backup <laughs> plan. You know, well, one, I also I teach a class on the business of photography, and one of the first in one of the first classes, I give students a um, a cost of doing business calculation uh, worksheet. And it's, you know, it's basically fill in the numbers. Here, here are costs and variables of known variables to run a photography business. Now, put in the blanks as to how much you're making on your current job or how much you want to make every year. And it tells you how much you have to earn to produce that amount. And without fail, they're shocked at what it takes to work in a business. And especially in today's business climate, that's not helping either. I mean, everything is so up in the air right now. It's gotten, it's gotten much more difficult to to be a self-employed person in this country and make, you know, and I'll ask you, adjusted for, you know, inflation or whatever, I made a whole lot more money in the 80s than I'm making today. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> Alina too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, and that's the way it is. But, I mean, it's still, it doesn't mean there's not opportunities. It just means that, A, I think you have to, you really have to work at having a style. And bottom line, in today's world, and I, and I know you folks will understand what I'm talking about, it's good service. I mean, yeah. so much of where all businesses fail, in my opinion, is that the service is something that's just, you know, becoming a thing of the past. And, you know, I built my business on the basis that if you're halfway decent, you can sell anybody something one time. But if you're going to stay in business, you've got to have repeat customers. And um, that, that's, that's been kind of the hallmark of my approach is the customer's always right and what can I do to make it right if there's a problem. And, and um, you know, and service is critical. And a lot of these young people coming up don't have a clue. Well, that, and I, I, think, so, I think, Scott, we should just end on that because I think no truer <laughs> words were ever said. So where can people find your work? Uh, they, my, my website is www.treesmedia.com. And uh, I do have a lighting workshop that I'm going to be offering at the end of this month. You can get some information. Um, actually, they'll, uh, through Corinne's site, actually Corinne is sponsoring that workshop. I'll have a, a piece on my website as well, but... Uh, equinephotographers.org, um, but it's going to be a four-part on-demand video series workshop that people can watch at their leisure. Very good. Well, thank you, Scott. This has been absolutely well, thank fascinating. thank you, Glenn. I appreciate it. We're, gonna, we're not going to wait uh, four years next time. No, let's, let's not. I always enjoy talking to you. And now, Helena, it's time for Tack and Habit. Right, this week, this uh, week's Tack and Habit, I kind of picked, and because they have a new camera out, and we, we're sticking with the photography theme here, and this is something that we talked about a long time ago on the show, but it's become very popular for horse people, and people, you know, it really has become popular for people in general. During the uh, Hurricane Sandy, I actually followed uh, one of these cameras that were on Dropcam. That's what we're talking about, Dropcam, D-R-O-P-C-A-M.com. And I followed one of the cameras that was on there because it was at the marina, at the the marina along the river in New York City. 
and during Sandy, you could see the boats, and as it got worse, you could see the boats going up, and then in the worst part of uh, Hurricane Sandy, the boats were over the piers, and some of them ended up getting speared on top of the piers that were like six feet high, the, pil- the pilings. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it was an incredible thing to watch, and the drop cam... The actual drop cam stayed on during most of that storm and then finally went out when the power went out uh, because it got flooded. But uh, it, it was it's a tough camera. And what these are, are these are little cameras that you either mount on a wall or you can put them on a desk or something like that. But it's, it's, a, it's a high definition, what they call a drop cam, which means that you can monitor it on the Internet. As long as this drop cam can get a wireless connection from your house... Like if you put it in the barn to watch your horses or a foaling stall or uh, you want to just keep an eye on the outside of the pasture or something like that. Yep. These cameras are excellent for the price. They're like 140 bucks. One of the nice things about these cameras is that you can – one of the neat things that I think for horse people is they are they use infrared technology so you can see in the dark. Um, the picture you can actually see outside in the dark. You can see it's like uh, it's like hazy moonlight, but you can see everything that's going on in the in the frame. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a, you don't have to necessarily leave the lights on in the barn. You can use this drop cam, and you can still see what's going on. Uh, what's nice is if you have a, you need a high speed internet connection of some sort, a D, you know a DSL or or internet or something. Okay, right. Uh, you know. Uh, a cable connection. Yep. And as long as you have wireless, this will pick up the wireless and you can go to dropcam.com and if you pay a few bucks extra, what happened the other reason that this is so unique, a lot of people have had spy cameras where they can see it on their TV or their monitor, but it doesn't record it. What's nice about this is all of your all of your camera the the, the what the camera is recording is recorded for you on Dropcam. So you can get to it anywhere. Oh, oh! It records right to a central server, right yes. to a central location on Dropcam. Now you pay like I think it's ten dollars a month to for a certain amount of storage. Yeah. But and one of the neat things about these cameras too is they are motion sensor activated. So most of the time when there's nothing going on, you won't see it. It will not be recording that. It's only going to record the points where the camera was activated and there was some motion going on. So, and the other cool thing, Helena, you're going to love this. Talk about technology. This is one of the new things with these cameras. When it does detect emotion, you can set it up that the camera will, t- will text you or send an email to you notifying you that something has happened and something's moving. Wow. It thinks for me? Isn't that cool? <laughs> I mean, it, that's just, and you can think of all the applications that you could use this for, a baby's room or, you know, but the, the cool thing is you can be at work watching what's happening at your barn. Um, you could be at work watching what's happening in your house if you've got a babysitter or something like that. And the camera will only run when there's movement. Now, if you have pets, it's probably going to be all the time. But uh, <laughs> our cat will be up beating the camera, well, probably. That's the yeah. question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's the only problem is, like, if if you have restless animals like I do, always up to something. <laughs> and, and it's cool. On, on dropcam.com, if you go there, you can go to demo cams. And you can actually uh, request, and they'll do this. You can request that your camera be put on there, and you can watch. And then anybody could go watch your camera. Um, and a lot of radio stations use this. Uh, like, like you know, you and I could use it, and, and then people could watch our recording, which we don't want them to because most of the time we're not dressed pretty well. But um, you know, it's it's used by a lot of radio stations for that. Uh, 
it's just a really cool thing. Now it does use bandwidth, so it's going to use you know it's going to use bandwidth. Uh, you have to have a pretty good internet connection to do it, but it's just. I hope I explained it well enough. It's you, you did, but if you know if you're getting if you're getting this thing, then you're invested in whatever images you're you're going to capture. I mean, you either have a foal coming or you've got a troublemaking horse in the barn or something like that. So a little bit of bandwidth isn't going to be a problem. Right now, if we right. had a boarding stable or uh, a stable event, you know, if we had a stable with more than one horse like we do now, yeah, I would have one of these in the in the aisleway of the barn, and so that I could look at it from the house anytime. I almost don't want to know what happens <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> That's funny. I put my horses to bed, and I don't want to know what they're up to until six o'clock the next morning. <laughs> So that's dropcam.com. You can buy the cameras right there. They'll send you the cameras. It's very easy to do. It's apparently, you know, very... I know a couple people have had these and said it's just so easy to set up. There's not a lot of thinking or reading directions involved with this. And it just... <laughs> that's your kind of product. Yeah, it is. And it just works. And for 149 bucks, for the peace of mind, for the people that, you know, have a need for this. Yeah. Uh, and the other cool thing is you can zoom in. Please, that's a couple of drinks at a bar, at a swanky bar. Seriously. It's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a half a trip to Disney nowadays. Yeah. Um, and the uh, other cool thing is you can zoom from your computer at home. You can tell your drop cam to zoom in on things. Oh, I love that. Uh, it's just really, really neat, the technology that they've put in these new cameras that they've just come out with. So I highly recommend it. It's uh, Dropcam HD and at dropcam.com. And one other thing, I mentioned this on the morning show this morning. I saw this, but I wanted to mention it to you, too. All of us are right now, obviously, after what happened in Connecticut and you know all the news you hear is always negative. Uh, one of the things that we're all, always concerned about is protection and safety. I saw something on Facebook this morning that was a reminder to people that you have an alarm system usually right with you at, at home at night when you're most likely to have somebody try and break into your house. You have an alarm system available to you that people forget about, and that is, and with most people, is their car alarms. And most people have the key dongle, the key fob, that mm-hmm. has the panic button on it. Yeah. So what this advised you to do was take those, take your keys to bed with you. Leave them on the nightstand. If you hear something going on outside or you peek out the window and you see somebody in your, near your barn or you know somebody that's uh, going to be trying to break into your house, set off the car alarm. Because the car alarm will go till you tell it to stop or the battery dies. And that's more than likely going to scare most people away. That's so, a brilliant idea. Isn't it? And it's something you already own. You know, uh, just a matter of bringing your keys to your nightstand with you. I'm surprised there isn't some kind of app on people's smartphones to do that, too. Like, that's a really good idea. Like, I, I'm, I'm a total geek and probably a little OCD, but I sleep with my bed on my nightstand. Your bed on your nightstand? My, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, how do you do that? That's I a balancing a act there, Helena. I, have a little <laughs> I sleep with my phone next to my bed on my nightstand. See, this is a case where my mouth is like my brain. and <laughs> do, you think, do you think that most parents do that, though? Yes, yeah. I do. So, so here's the question. Uh, is there some kind of app out there that lets you activate your car alarm with your phone? You have know. to set that's it up probably, that way? That would be good, too. Because then, the, have... now, like, your, your night table's getting full of stuff. It's got, like, your bottle of water. It's got your chapstick. It's got your yeah. phone. It's got your keys. It's got your book, maybe the newspaper. What else? Now, do you turn your phone over so the blinking lights aren't blinking everywhere? I do turn it over, yeah. 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 
I do. Just in case somebody sends me something after I fall asleep and I don't want to be woken up, you know? Yeah. Although, and then it's like, yeah. <laughs> it buzzes and bounces all over the place. I'm like, what was that? What was that? I know technology has caused us to get less sleep, I think. <laughs> My sister who works, she she's a massage therapist in Manhattan. And so sometimes she doesn't get out of work until late and she'll send me a text that I'm like, oh, <laughs> Just it totally rocks my world. I'm like, oh my god, I got to turn my volume down. I but wonder how many people wake up in the middle of the night and check their emails and check Facebook on their phones beside their bed. I check it in the morning. I do check it first thing in the morning when I get up. I wonder how I many do. people wake up at two in the morning and check because they can't wait till morning. It's it's an addiction. You can't help it. They said that people now are checking their work emails whether they're at work or not at work or at home on the weekends, up to 40 times a day. This is why I resisted getting a smartphone for as long as I did. I did not want to bring that stress with me everywhere I go. And you know what? Like if I go to the gym, I have to force myself to leave my phone in the truck. Because otherwise you'd be checking it while you're on the, uh, while you're on the elliptical machine. Totally. Yeah. I'd be doing like, you know, surfing the net, checking Facebook, checking my emails, doing stuff. Yeah. And now, even now, like I put it in my pocket when I go do my barn. No more. I leave it in the house, in my, at my desk, and I go out and I do my stalls. Nobody bothers me. You have yep. to. You have to force yourself to, lead, to separate from it because it is. It's addicting. It is. And, and especially when, you get, when you're new to it, if you've had a dumb phone for a, a, a while and then you, <laughs> then you get a smartphone, uh, it, the first two weeks are just useless. You might, you're not getting anything else done. Yeah, I didn't. I remember when I first got mine, I was. It was I felt like such an idiot. <laughs> I feel like such an idiot. Like, this is ridiculous. This thing's making me feel worse, not better. <laughs> well, this has been fun. I know I'm I'm due for an upgrade too, and I think I'm I'm going to go the iPhone five route. Uh, I've never had an iPhone. I've always had Android phones, and I'm kind of ready the iPhone iPhone five. And want to know one of the reasons why I want an iPhone five is the yeah. camera's so darn good. Mm. Yeah, the phone, the camera on my phone is not so hot. I'm surprised. No, I have an Android phone too, and the camera's not great, and it's laggy, and it takes forever for the program to open, and by that time your picture's gone. Yep. And it's like, nope, I'm getting an iPhone just for the camera. And isn't that amazing? It follows into what we were just talking about today. Yeah. Yeah. Every phone does phone pretty well. You know? Every phone does phone pretty well. Yes, this is true. You know, it's it's what it's the other stuff, and it's like, uh, okay, I want the camera. And I bet well, you people use their camera more than their on their uh, smartphones than they do the phone. <laughs> well, if you have a good camera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you have a good, like I just got for Christmas, I got a Nikon. It's a point and shoot camera. It's not a phone. It's a camera and it looks like a camera. It's red. It's glossy red. It's really cool. But <laughs> um, because and the phone, the camera on my phone is, is crappy. However, the video on my phone is amazing. Yeah. It's amazingly clear. So it's really kind of interesting what, I mean, because there's so many different features on these smartphones, you can buy a phone for whatever feature is a priority for you, whether it's your phone, your camera, a video, the telephone. Who even talks anymore? Do you talk? I don't no, talk. I, I text. text. Yep. <laughs> I text. But, and you know what, though, because texting uses up data, you know, your package, if you don't have an unlimited data plan, or texting, whatever, which I don't know, I guess a lot of people do. I text through Facebook because it's free. You and I, uh, you and I are, are good friends and have been for a long time now. 
And if it wasn't for texting and email and this show once a week, if it wasn't for the show once a week, we'd never talk to each other. I know. I know. <laughs> who has time to talk on the phone? Gosh darn it. <laughs> well, when, my phone, which, when my phone rings, I'm like, who is that? <laughs> speaking of which, uh, we are plain running out of time today. So thank you, everybody, for enjoying or for joining us today. We really appreciate I hope you enjoyed it uh, for joining us today. Don't forget, you can hear all of our shows on the Horse Radio Network over at horseradionetwork.com. You can can catch all the past episodes. If you want to now go back and listen to Scott and what ooh, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? It was go, 2008, right? Yeah. So yeah. four years ago, what was he saying? A matter of fact, I'm going to go back and take a listen because now I'm curious how things have changed by listening to what he said four years ago. Right. About the technology. As a matter of fact, what I'll yep. do is at the end of this show, right after the music, I will cut out the interview we did with Scott from four years ago and I will put it at the end of this show. So just keep listening now. And you'll hear the end. Uh, you'll hear Scott come in with his interview from four years ago, and you can take a listen to it right away. See what's changed. Uh, yeah, and then you can compare it to what he said today. Very interesting. We'll we'll see what he has to say. Uh, and that's it, Helena. So we'll talk to you again next week. I have another fun show planned for you next week. Have the guests booked and ready to go. Excellent. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Just find us on Stable Scoop. You can send email to me because I like to get emails. Helena at horseradionetwork.com. You can send them to Glenn, but whatever. It's so much more fun to send me an email. That's true. <laughs> and you might actually get read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But find us on Facebook because we love to hear from you. All right, Helena. Talk to you next week. Uh, trees is from Scott Trees Photography and Trees Media. And the website is trees, T-R-E-E-S, media.com. He's one of the leading equine photographers in the world. Uh, he travels all over the world. Matter of fact, I think he's packing to leave the country right now, um, which I thought was interesting because the election was yesterday. But, uh, <laughs> but he isn't limited to just equine photography. He takes amazing shots of the most amazing things around the world. And I want to get Scott on here. Hi, Scott. Hi, Glenn. How are you doing? Good. We're so happy to have you on today, and I appreciate you taking the time. I know you are packing. Where are you heading off to this time? I'm heading off to Dubai. Uh, I've got to um, be over there for six months working and doing a variety of work, not just horses, but a lot of commercial work as well. Wow. Six months in Dubai. I thought you six were going over for Dubai. like a week. <laughs> nope. Nope. This is, it's a great time to be over there, and so uh, it's, this is kind of their... The weather there now is kind of like living in Santa Barbara until May, and then it gets hot, and that's when I come home. <laughs> <laughs> so you live in Texas, right? Yeah. I live in Texas. I live south okay. of Fort Worth. When I'm here, most of the time I live in an airport somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you have some amazing pictures, actually, of Dubai and, and that hotel they built and, and yes, stuff. Yes, thank it, you. It's, yeah, it's it's a pretty amazing place, and it 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 uh, it's funny. I actually started off wanting to be an architectural photographer, but but I grew up with horses, and the horse thing kind of took its its own course in life, and 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 gave me a great career opportunity. Um, and I've had the good fortune to photograph horses all over the world. And um, but then I was doing a a, um, a photographic session for uh, one of the sh ruling sheikhs in Sharjah, and with his horses, and was invited into the palace and uh, asked if I could take pictures, not realizing that they didn't even allow cameras in the picture in the palace. And so I did, and he liked what I did and asked if I'd shoot a book for him of the palace. And oh, so wow. that sort of started a whole wave of, of doing architectural work over there, which has been fun. But Now, how cool horses, is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but that's, that's the great thing about horses. I mean, and, and the incredible thing about photographing horses and and uh i'm i'm going to be the featured artist at the kentucky horse park international museum next year and uh, in their gallery oh really congratulations and, yeah. that's fabulous right in my neck of the woods we're here in lexington so 
And well, I can just imagine show, that conversation, you know. Oh, I was walking through the castle one day, and the yes. chef liked my, my photographs, and, <laughs> and, and there I was, off to Dubai for another six months. Yeah, it was really kind. So it almost cool. happened that way. <laughs> it was like, oh, by the way, I like these. Would you, would you um, be interested in doing a book for the palace? Well, let me think about it. Okay, yeah, I think yeah, I'll do it. I think I can do um, that. But, um, but the theme of the show is going to be because of horses, and, and it's actually that – uh, because of horses, I've had a remarkable career um, and a remarkable life in, in places that I've been able to travel and the people I've met and the horses I've met and the places I've seen. I mean, I was in communist Russia, communist Poland. Um, you know, I've been, I think, on a f- figure four of the seven continents and, and um, shooting in uh, all over the world. And so it's been, it's been great. And well, it's all I, been I love the, the pictures of you on your website because you, like mm-hmm. you look like this world traveler um, almost Indiana Jones character. <laughs> well, it, you know, you, you learn to, to try and pack light and travel light, although it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I kind of like to wear the clothes that I can shower and wash at the same time. So, uh, you know, you, you learn to do that. Well, it definitely gets that kind of feel. So you actually became known as a photographer shooting horses, didn't you? Wasn't that first? Yes, I did. That yeah. really started my career. Um, I actually started taking pictures in college. I picked up a camera for the first time in college and photographed fraternity and sorority parties just so I could make money, and I made a killing. Um, and I actually paid for school doing that. And, and now you then, can sell those pictures online and make money. Oh, yeah, I probably yes. could now. You know, remember when you said, don't take that picture while I'm back, um, and you're running for office. But um, it, um, it's, it's That's why he's going to Dubai. That, yeah, really. It, but I, it's... Um, so I, my, I grew up in the horse industry. My mother had world champion saddlebreds, and my brother had world champion quarter horses, and we had Arabian horses, and I showed. And so the horse thing was always in my, in my background. And I started photographing horses kind of just because I wanted to take pictures. I mean, my, my degree was in psychology. I've never had a, a formal training in, in photography, just I'm kind of a jump-in, learn-how-to-swim guy, and learn-how-to-swim fast so you don't drown. But... Um, and so it kind of, after I graduated from college, I wanted to do um, photography and, and um, started doing some horse shows and, and you know, use those to, to um, get things going and got tired of that quickly and started doing more commercial work and, and uttered the famous last words, I'll never photograph another horse as long as I live. And so... Um, I then got enticed back into doing horses, actually, by I lived in North Carolina at the time, and, and a film uh, company that had seen one of my presentations asked if I'd ever thought about shooting film on horses, and I said, well, actually, I had. So I started coming to Dallas for a couple weeks every month and shooting um, film of horses and some other things, and then um, this gentleman was doing some brochures for farms, and this was in the 80s when the Arabian industry was just booming or beginning to boom, actually. And a big farm was having a dispersal sale, and they wanted something different for the catalog. And so uh, they hired me, and at that point, turning the horses loose as opposed to just standing them up in headshots or body shots was very innovative. And the, the, the catalog was a big hit, and, the, and it just took off. And I had um, a new look, uh, and I'm kind of known for what I do with lighting and, and situations I put horses in. They're a little bit extreme sometimes, and... and um, it just boomed. I mean, the, the industry boomed and, and business boomed and, and, you know, it just took off from there. And here you are. I mean, I've had my highs and lows. I mean, I've been doing this longer than I care to admit, but I think I'm being rediscovered for about the fourth time in my career now. <laughs> and, um, you know, you just, you have that as an artist. You have, you have points. I mean, I turned out a prodigious body of work from 19, 
83 to 1994. Um, and I mean, it was a time when any, anything that you could conceive of, somebody would pay to do it. I mean, it was amazing. And, All right. Um, well, you know what? Um, you, you, we, we have both of you on, and we don't want to miss the opportunity to really talk about how the average person can take a better picture, how right. the average horse person can do that. So we do have some questions for both of you. Kareen, are you okay. still with okay. us? Yeah, okay, yep, good. I'm still here. All right. I um, Scott would do most of the talking, so. <laughs> <laughs> she actually told us that before the interview. No offense. She knows me well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so what... What what is the biggest mistake that people make? Let's start there, well, and then we'll go into how to do it right. I, I teach a very active online course for the basics of equine photography once a year, and there are three things that I always tell my students, and it always meets with a little bit of resistance, but once they start doing these things, you see a huge improvement in their work. The first thing is very obvious, but it's probably the most resistant thing, is to sit down and read their manual. Understanding how your camera works is really pretty critical because a lot of people think they can just put their camera on auto and let the camera do all the work, and that's a big mistake. So they have to read their manual, and then they've got to take it out of auto mode. Once they take it out of auto mode, I try to have them shoot either in shutter priority or aperture priority. That way you have a little control over what your camera is doing, and it gives you a little understanding of what you need. With action shots, you need to have a high shutter speed, and usually if you set it on auto, you have no control over that. Geez, she's got thing, me nervous already, Helena. It makes me really nervous when I turn that <laughs> dial off of auto. Are you taking notes? No. I start to sweat, you know? Yeah, and a lot of people are very afraid to take it out of auto mode. But I'm one of those. It's a huge difference in your work. Just put it on either shutter or aperture priority and shoot that way for a while. You know, I and did read the manual, though. Good. I never did go. anything about it, but you're I read better, it. You're better it's than not, 90% of the people yeah. out there. <laughs> but it's Most, easier to, you know, you can I, make I, mistakes. I try, when I get a new camera, I'll sit down with the manual, and I'll try to learn one or two new things every day, and then just play with the buttons and the dials, just, just so you're a little more comfortable with it. So when you need to change something, you kind of have an idea where to go. It's really not that complicated. And I shoot Nikon, and I find that they're... Um, their manual and their help um, in the menus is, is very easy for me, and I'm not one that is great at following written instructions. So, so if I can need, do it, anybody can do it. Do you need and an expensive think, camera to take good pictures? What's that? Do you need an expensive camera to take good pictures? Well, if you want a digital camera, you, you are going to spend some money because the main thing that you see with the cheaper ca- digital cameras is the shutter lag, which you can't have that for horse photography. Um, the Nikons and the Canons that most of the serious amateurs and pro photographers are shooting with, are you're probably going to look at about $1,000 for a body. Um, now, what, you know, what do you mean by shutter? Let's explain what you mean by shutter lag before we go on. Well, it's from the time that you depress the shutter to the time that the, the camera actually takes the photo. So if you're trying to hit a horse with its ears up or at the point of stride or over a fence, you need an instant, almost instantaneous response from your shutter. And the lesser cameras won't do that. The lower-end cameras have a very, you know, noticeable shutter lag. So by the time you take the picture, the horse has already uh, gone over the fence, in other words. Yeah, I've had that. When you're photographing horses, you're truly dealing in milliseconds. If you right. take, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that, well, with these, especially these newer cameras that can shoot 5, 8, 10 frames a second, I can just hold the button down and get the picture. And the reality is that if you look at a, at a, at a frame of video, uh, a clip of video, a video shoots at 30 frames a second. 
And if you go through each frame by frame of those 30 frames in a second, one of those frames is actually going to be correct in terms of the timing on the horse. Mm-hmm. And so timing is everything with, with uh, shooting horses. And as uh, Corinne mentioned, that you need the higher shutter speed. And, um, and then the shutter lag is critical because if, if you're off a millisecond, you miss the shot. Okay. Are the new digital cameras uh, faster? Are they more accurate in terms of timing than the older traditional ones? Well, it, um, it, you know, you, you pay your big money for these high-end cameras because you get such, there's no shutter lag. And, you know, you're also paying for other things. But, you know, that's one thing that you really, um, it, it will vary from camera to camera. But yeah, the higher-end Nikon and Canons are all pretty responsive. And that's one thing that you, as you're looking, shopping around, that you, that's the, probably the first thing, if you're going to be shooting horses, to know that you're going to get pretty instant response time from your shutter. Okay. Pretty, it really is pretty crucial. All right, so read the manual, step one. otherwise you'll get frustrated to death. <laughs> yeah. So read the manual. That pretty much eliminates all the guys in the audience, and then... Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> if and another thing then, course, you, you've got to read your manual. Sorry, guys. And the third thing that I always tell people is the, the, the lens that you must have if you want to take good horse photos is the 80 to 200 or the 70 to 200 uh, zoom lens. And then when you're shooting horses, you need to be shooting at the end of your 200-millimeter lens so that when you see a lot of amateur horse photos, you see the big head and the little rear end, and that's called lens distortion because you're just shooting too wide. So this can be eliminated if you shoot at the end of your 200-millimeter lens. And What do you mean lot, by that? Now, are, you're, you're talking over our heads again. What do you mean by the end of your... Lens. Well, you've got you've got your focal length is 80 millimeters to 200 millimeters on your zoom lens. If so, you do you mean all the way zoomed out? All, all the way, way zoomed, zoomed out, to yeah. your 200 okay. millimeters. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And that will reduce your your lens distortion. And you, a lot of people don't want to back up that far because you really do need to back away. You know, the people are shooting too close and too wide, and then you wonder why you're getting this funny looking horse in your photos. That's because you're not zoomed out. So okay. you need to back up and zoom it in. And you'll see a huge. And most people don't really see that in their in our brain. If you if you put your hand right in front of your face or move your hand to the length of your arm, in terms of how you really think the size of your hand is, in your brain it's still the same size. But mm-hmm. photographically, that that hand would either be very large or very small. So the camera doesn't. Um, you, you have to have some of that compression when you have that long telephoto lens on there to to compress the horse a little bit to make the proportions right. Do they get the same effect if somebody just has a, let's say they have a regular 10 times zoom, do they get the same effect? Would it be the same thing if they're, if they're using their, that camera? The point and shoot kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, the point and shoot. Well, yeah, it depends on your lens, really. And, yeah. I mean, the, the rule of thumb is to always zoom to the end of your lens okay. with horses. And a little exercise you can do is to take your, take your zoom lens and take your subject and shoot it wide and then shoot it, you know, whatever your focal lengths are, maybe every 30 or 40 millimeters, and then print out those photos and look at them side by side. And then you'll start to see what the distortion is because some of it is very subtle and you won't really see it unless you can compare, you know, 50 millimeters to 200 millimeters. And then you'll realize, you know, what a big difference that can make. So you can't. So you're saying print them out. You, you can't tell when you're previewing on the digital camera? whether how well you got that or not because i'm thinking well let me just take let me take photographs of this horse 20 times and, and 
at either at 80 or 200 and somewhere in between and then see what works best. Are you saying that you really can't tell? You need to print out first? Well, it, it, it depends on your angle. I mean, if you're shooting a straight side-on shot, you, you, can, you can shoot it pretty wide because you're shooting on one plane. But if you're shooting a three-quarter angle like a headshot where you're shooting, you're standing in, kind of in front of the horse and shooting towards them, that's when you're going to have your lens distortion and when you really need to be shooting at the end of your zoom. Gotcha. So, okay. you know, it's something that you need to practice and get to know how your lens that you're using responds. But a rule of thumb is to really back up and zoom in. Well, that's and, interesting uh, because that's, that's against your natural instinct. Yeah, you it need really to be brave is. to do yeah. that. Yeah. Well, that's good. Those were a couple, uh, couple good. I didn't know that. And so. <laughs> Scott also mentioned, uh, if you really want to learn how to take good photos, take it out of the motor drive. Just shoot one frame at a time and learn how to time your camera and, and not take, you know, just, we call it the spray and pray method. You kind of machine gun it, hope one turns out. You know, if you want to really learn and grow as a photographer, take it out of motor drive and take one photo at a time. And yeah, I find even... the only time... The only time I really shoot with my motor drive is when I have some really extreme action going on, like rodeo or, or a horse that's, you know, running and bucking in the pasture or something like that. But usually you just need to take one shot at a time and learn to get your timing. So And a good it, exercise it, it's nice to do to get with that. Lazy, but not a good yeah, idea. An easy exercise for that is there's something psychological about when you put the lens up to your eye and look for the picture and try and get it as opposed to, I tell people, especially with digital because it's not hard, just go out and learn timing now. That's right. one of the things, too, is when, when, when do you shoot a horse? When, for a trot shot, when's the best time to shoot? And for, it all depends on varying timing, but I, I tell people most of the time, in a trot, when that inside leg starts to put weight down on the pasture, and that millisecond is the and the pasture actually starts to go down, mm. that's when you push the button, somewhere in there. Now, it's going to vary from people, from people to people. Some people will cue on the back legs, but I, I prefer to cue on the front leg. And find that usually for most people to at least get them looking about where to, when to shoot. If they can develop their sense of timing with their camera in that range, as a rule, then that knee is reaching a peak, a peak um, height uh, for that type of shot. Now, dressage is shot a little differently. But one of the things to do is just go out and, and don't put the camera up to your eye. Just look at yourself and go, and in your mind go, now, 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 mm-hmm. now. Oh. And then... And then take your, then put your finger on your shutter without looking at the horse. Just push the button now, 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 and start yeah, getting I mean, yourself to, to look at the horse. And, and uh, you'll start off looking at that foot, and you eventually look at a point when you you develop after a while. Those of us who have done this, you look at the whole horse when you're shooting. But sounds that's like a, fun a in the it, I was saying it just sounds like you're, it's, it's timing and rhythm. It feels like finding it's a rhythm, distance. Rhythm defense. is the key to it. Exactly. And every horse Very is a little different. So you do want to watch. But just, you know, pointing your camera and shooting blindly is you're never going to get any better. And no. when we were film photographers, we couldn't afford to waste our film. So we needed to take one picture. So, you know, you, you want to be shooting a high percentage. And it's the same for digital. You don't want to come home with hundreds of photos and only get three keepers. You want to come home with maybe... 15 photos and get three or three to five keepers out of that. So, well, so far, I haven't been doing practice. anything right, Helena. <laughs> I've flunked well, on know. every point here. <laughs> so, so Scott, what would you say? What were your what were your things that well, uh, would help? Certainly, the equipment, as as Quinn says, is absolutely critical. Uh, a couple of things. I was just dropping some notes down. I think the first and foremost thing. But you we have, have to, to assume, have, though, we do have to assume that not everybody's going to be able to afford the thousand dollar camera. So we have to work with that a little bit. Well, but you know, to tell you the truth, on eBay now, there's a lot of pros that that are getting rid of their their 
you know, say I, I shoot the cannon. So you can get some of these, uh, an EOS that's two years old, it's great because some guys bumped up to the newest version. You can pick one up for a few right. hundred bucks, and, and they're good cameras. So that's not a bad place to look for cameras. And, and, and to answer your original question, no, it's not the camera that makes the picture. It's the eye behind it. And so you could give us, uh, you know, a point and shoot, and we could probably get a good picture, uh, maybe not the timing we want because of the lag. But, you know, the, the camera is a tool, and people have to realize that. And, okay. it, and, and so you have to, you know, learn, learn how to use your tool and learn how to get the most out of it. I mean, I've um, just recently picked up a little Canon G10, which has blown me away. It's a 15-megapixel camera. It does all kinds of stuff and has a reasonably um, uh, responsive shutter, and I just threw it in there just to have something small that, to carry around. And so um, one of the things that, that I also would add to that, that non-equipment-wise, but one of the biggest requirements, I think, if you're going to photograph a horse is you have to load yourself with patience first. Um, mm -hmm. Horses are incredibly frustrating subjects. And I think if you don't have patience, um, don't even bother trying. Because which, is, we're, which is harder, people or horses? Oh, I think horses. Um, um, and from the standpoint of I can tell a person I want you to go stand over here, and they'll stay there. And I can try and get a horse to move in that direction, and there's some shadow or some sound or some smell that they don't like, and, and they're going to not want to be there. And so you have to be willing to adapt your shoot to what the horse is going to give you. So it helps to learn, you know, to learn the horse's body language, read the horse, learn what they're saying. We have to remember that they're fight-or-flight animals. And it's ironic and so, that that's the same, that patience is a rule working with horses no matter what you're doing, training exactly, them, riding them. Exactly. It doesn't matter. And, and I mean, a, a photo session is very disruptive for everybody. It's disruptive for the, for the staff. It's disruptive for the horses. It's disruptive. You know, nobody's ever glad to see us get there because they've been bathing horses for two or three days and, you know, schedules are disrupted. And, and you know, we, a lot of people, they bring horses out and they immediately start making noise or shaking things at them or chasing them or doing something and, and you know, you, you, horses, again, are fight or flight. You need to take advantage of learning what, what their schedules are. And, you know, I always try and find out when their feeding schedules are. You know, I, I get cranky when I'm hungry, so do horses. <laughs> and, um, and I also try and, and make certain that, um, I let them work into this, uh, and, and not just rush out and try and get them to perform. Um, because, they are they're athletes. There's no question that they're athletes if for if the show horse level, but you know, they have to warm up to it. And I think if you if you take the time and, and patience and what happens is people get frustrated because a horse gets by them or they're not standing upright or you know, the worst combination is husband and wife teams. because uh, they end up getting in a fight and you know and and horses horses pick up on this stuff. They're incredibly sensitive. And so I keep my shoots real low key. Um, we're not, you know, doing anything like solving world hunger or world peace here. We're trying to get a picture of a horse, so it's not that important if we don't get it. Uh, and, and if, you know, part of what we are paid to do is to create the environment and use the experience to get the shot. But I think that's where I see a lot of people just get in a hurry and, and they don't listen and they don't, they don't listen to their horse and they don't read their body language. Yeah, yeah I think I think a critical part of good successful equine photography is knowing horses first and then knowing how to photograph second because I think most of most of the equine photographers I know were horse people first and that's a huge plus in predicting behavior and and knowing your breed standards and knowing how certain disciplines need to be photographed and so forth and then also you know setting the feet right and and there's a lot of little details that 
you learn because you've been around horses. And so, you know, I always tell people that. Well, and know, it's different for every breed. What kind of horse well, shot yeah, you get? Well, yeah, and, and uh, very often we'll have members say, well, I've got to go shoot this new breed that I've never shot before. And, you know, that that's when you need to study your, your breed standards and, and go, you know, find a magazine and, and see how that breed is being photographed. So, yeah, there's a huge variety in the different disciplines and breeds. And if, you know, you, you need you need to do your homework, basically, if you're going to go shoot something new. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little yeah. bit about one of the things, too, that I think is a big a big error that we all make, and that's framing. Everybody seems to always want to put the main subject right in the middle of the picture, and that's the only thing they ever do. And I know from the little I know about photography, and and I tend to not be that way, but the little I know about photography is is you can get a much more effective picture if you're not doing that. So talk a little bit about that. Well, I find, I, I always tell people, this has changed a little bit from the film days where we wanted to get every photo perfect in the frame. I now tend to, to shoot a little more loosely in the frame, and then when I'm working on my pictures in the, in the computer, then I'll put my final crop on them. And, you know, composition is, is important for the final impact, and I think a lot of people miss that, that last step. But we have so much control now because we do all the work, basically, in our, in our computers. We don't leave it to a lab to do it. So if we want to crop something a little differently, it's not a problem. Um, you know, it all comes down to composition and, and learning certain little rules. I mean, it's good to have your whole whole horse in the frame and not cut off its feet and so forth. So I think a good rule of thumb is to be shooting a little loosely in the frame so you can crop it later. And then also keep in mind, if you want to order an 8x10, that you need to keep it within those those uh, dimensions, which, you know... Yeah, we've all made that mistake, cropped it, right. and then it, it wasn't 8x10 right. anymore. One of, the, one of the compositional things that I see a lot that, that really hurts people is uh, I'm, a, I'm a big um, use of the, the compositional tool of line, which is, is actual line and implied line. And one of the things you have to watch out with with horses is horizontal lines. And, and it, it, compositionally, any horizontal line is going to stop the picture right there. Uh, because part of what you're trying to do in, in, in composing a photograph is you're trying to take the eye through the image. I mean, you know, the great master painters of, of, of the, you know, the early, early days would, you know, the compositional tool was very strong and, and the direction of an eye or, or the, the angle of, of a chair or something that, that took you through the picture. But a horizontal line stops the shot. And so um, one, of the, one of the biggest problems that people make shooting horses that I see... What do you mean? The, the horizontal line goes straight across the picture? Is that what yeah, you're talking about? Yeah, straight across the picture, like a okay. fence, uh, a horizon. Um, anything, anything the, 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 compositionally, it's going to stop the eye. It's, it just, if you take a look at a picture of, of a horse, and when you, if you start looking at it with that in mind, take a look at shots where the horses are kind of like the fence is right in the middle of the frame or the horizon is right in the middle of the frame. And basically, you kind of don't take in anything above it. And so um, you need to keep your horizontal lines at a lower or higher level to the horse because they, 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 they just they chop it basically the horizontal line straight across the picture chops it in two. Yeah. And so um, the other thing that along the line of composition that is I see made mistakes both in still and in video is that people don't bend over, and you need to shoot into the heart line of the horse. Yeah. So if it's a big trachaner, you can stand up, but for most horses, you're going to have to get down on your knees. Um, minis are almost impossible. You shoot on your belly. But um, it's, that, is a, that is probably one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is everybody shoots as tall as they are. 
And what does that, and, what kind of photograph does that produce? Well, what that does is it gives you a little bit of a sense of foreshortening, which means that if you're shooting down on something, it, it tends to make the horse's legs look a little shorter. It's a subtle difference, but if you go out, any, any of your listeners go out there, take a picture of your horse standing up, and, then, and just from the side, just have somebody holding it, and then take a picture of the horse shooting into the heart line, and you will see a huge difference. Hmm. Huge. Yeah, this is a, a big, you see it with, with all sorts of animal photography, like dogs. People are always shooting down at them. You need to get down on the level of the animal, and it's always better to shoot up than to shoot down for the most okay. part, I think. And what about color and light? Let's talk about, when, if we're talking about composition, I think with some candids you can capture something that's there already, you know, mm-hmm. if you happen to see the color or you, I mean, I walk by a scene and I go, oh, that would make a great photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you capture that, what you see with the eye? How do you then capture that with your camera? Well, and then, and then how do you create it when it's not there? Well, <laughs> light, that's, I mean, that's, that's a $64,000 question. Right. Light, light is the photographer's paintbrush. <laughs> yeah, light is, light is our paintbrush. Light is what creates mood, it creates texture, it creates, uh, of course, color balance. And the, you know, early morning light and late afternoon light. And by early morning, we're going to say from a, a half hour after sunrise till, on an average, 9 or 10 o'clock. And in the afternoon from about, oh, 2 or 3 till right at, right at sunset. That's going to have a very soft quality of light, a very warm quality to it. And as a rule, for, for kind of my style of shooting, I shoot early in the morning or late in the afternoon. When I'm outside and start squinting because it's getting too bright, it's time, and my, for me, for the kind of work I do, that's when I stop shooting. Mm-hmm. But you, you, have to, you, you have to take a look at the direction of light. And, and that's the old rule of thumb from when photography first started was have the sun over your back, and so you can eliminate your subject. Well, that was because the, you know they were using very slow films and huge tripods. But what that is, that's a flat lighting. That's front lighting. There's no shadow. And what we're trying to do, and we're trying to take a three-dimensional object and, and communicate to it in a two and, and or capture it in a two-dimensional field and have it look like it's a three-dimensional object. And so you have to have some degree of shadow in your image to create that depth. And so there's basically four four primary directions of light. There's front light, which is the light behind you. There's side light, which is coming from the side. There's back light, which is where it's behind you. And then between those, you have a back side light or a, back, or a side back light and a side front light, which is like a 45-degree angle of, of where your light source is to where you and your subject are. And um, anywhere in that, you know, front light is going to be very flat and very boring. And a lot of people, you'll see pictures that just don't have any depth to them, and that's why. Um, so the sun was basically what you mean by that is the front light is behind the their back, right behind their back, right. yeah, behind right the over subject's their shoulder, back. yeah, behind, no, yeah, behind, no, behind the photographer's back. In other words, oh, okay. I have a and light that produces... source. That's, yeah, that's front light or flat light. Just figure okay. out there's no shadow. Okay. Now take and go and go 45 degrees to your to your right, and now you're going to start seeing if you take that light source that you're going to start seeing that you've got some shadow now. And that's see, and that's, that's funny. Nice... That that goes against what people's natural tendencies is too, is to sure. try and not have shadows on the subject or right. you know, in the picture. But but shadows are what give you depth. Now a, a classic backlight. If you think of shots that that are complete silhouettes, when the sun is right behind them and a horse rears, and all you can see is black. I mean that's that's called black backlight. And within that venue, I mean you do things like rim lighting where you try and get a little bit of light. You, if you've gone out into the pastures and your mares are grazing and the sun's kind of behind them and you see a little bit of light filtering through their manes and it's kind of like a little edge of light, that's called rim light. 
but light light is everything and and I mean there are seminars taught all over the world for weeks on seeing light and and yeah. that is a very critical venue but a, another quick exercise to, to kind of start looking at things in a different way is take a subject in anywhere a bale of hay is what I used to take people take a bale of hay and take a look at how the light looks at it in the morning and take a light a look at how light looks at it in the afternoon and take a, and in the middle of the day and see how it changes its shape its texture its color then walk around the bale of hay and where, where you've got light coming from di- different directions so you can see what it looks like when it's flat and when it looks like from the side from the back and you start kind of looking at light in a little bit different way and so you know when I said you walk by someplace and say well gosh that's a pretty picture ask yourself why what time of day is it what direction is the light what color is the light light has color in the morning it's very warm in the afternoons and higher light it's very blue and the original cam- the early digital cameras we had to white balance them all the time because you had to get the camera to see the color white correctly and now the auto white balance on all these cameras is very good most people don't even think about white balance anymore mm-hmm. plus you can fix it in photoshop but um, <laughs> you know light light is a it is i mean as i said it's the photographer's paintbrush it's everything Another exercise you can do too is if you have a, like a if you if you have access to a, a horse being ridden, and take him out in the field in a late afternoon, and then have the horse trot around a big circle around you, and take a photo every two or three strides, and then look at those photos side by side and see how the light changes, and you'll be surprised. You know, it might not be that sun coming over your your back. It might be you know when when the light is hitting him on the side, where you, as Scott says, you have much more of a a sculpting effect with the shadows. So it's really, I mean, it's it's a constant study, and it takes a long time to start seeing seeing the light. And the nice thing about digital is that you can experiment and play more. You know, you don't feel like you're wasting film, and, and you can be more creative and, and try new things. And light really is everything as far as... It's everything. And, and, I, yep. and I learned lighting basically by studying the old Hollywood photo shots uh, of movie sets and glamour shots, and, and I'd start looking at pictures and try and figure out how they lit it and why did I like it. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, what, what made that shot? And, and do the same thing. I mean, when you look through your horse magazines or any magazine, if a picture stops you, um, and again, and in my context, I'm an advertising shooter, so part of my job is to try and create images that get your attention. So if, if, if you are stopped by a picture, ask yourself why. What is it about that picture that made you look at it? And, and, and another thing to remember, too, is you don't have to have a sunny day to make good pictures. No, I mean, you don't Bright overcast all. is probably the best light you can have because you're not dealing with any kind of shadows, and you can shoot in any direction, and it's beautiful for portraits because, you know, mm-hmm. you, you don't have a shadow under the hat or, right. you know, the wrinkles aren't quite as obvious. So, you know, even in the rain, you can take pictures. if you. Yeah, can you can take pictures in all situations. Uh, light will have direction no matter – it's going to have direction and quality no matter how much of it there is. Right, um, so it, it does sound a, like a lighting. Sunny, a sunny day is almost like a curse for photographers because, yeah. especially yeah. with the digital cameras, they can't really handle that. The bright to the dark is right. very tough for the digital cameras to handle. So I'm much happier when it's bright overcast if I have to be shooting, to be honest. So it sounds like lighting is top on the list of of things Absolutely. to worry about, even as a as a neophyte photographer. Learning to see it is the, is the key, and it's and that yeah. it's it's. I've kind of learned you've either got a knack for seeing light or you don't. I mean, I've I've got a good friend that's a very good photographer, and she's she's a doctor, but she she laughs and she says, you know, I've taken courses and I still can't see light. Well, she can see it better than <laughs> she can see it better than she thinks. But. Well, that that's well, a good and- question though. Is how how much of a good photographer is 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 something they've learned, or is it just talent that's there, like a good painter? 
I think a lot of it is very instinctive and a, and a certain talent to be creative and artistic. We have members that grow by leaps and bounds, and just right from the beginning, they've got an incredible eye, and then there's others that struggle with it all their lives. And I mean, I, it, you know, people will argue with you and tell you that photography is not an art, but it really is. And as Scott says, the camera is just a tool that you learn how to use, and, you know, it's a means of expression of your creativity. And, you know, everybody expresses it a little differently. So um, learning to use that tool to, to, you know, your the optimal ability is really the key. And then once you do that, then you can kind of get creative. But I think a lot of people do want to cut corners with these digital cameras and not really understand what their cameras are doing. So. Well, you know what? It, if it wasn't an art, that's kind of silly because then there you wouldn't have everybody would be a professional photographer if it wasn't. Well, an art. And, and the really funny thing is that we have artists contact us wanting to copy our work. <laughs> so I think photography is an art, but. <laughs> so let me ask a bit more practical here. We're coming up on the holidays. If somebody wanted to get a portrait done of their horse or for somebody else, what would they pay? Well, on average, what I know it, it's going to vary, but just a, a ballpark. Oh boy, that's a good question. I mean, that's it, a depends, question. it depends on a lot I know of that's factors. why I asked it. I mean, you I think we've been too easy on you guys. Yeah, photographers <laughs> in our business will will do it one of two ways. They'll have okay. a, a sitting fee that includes um a, an, a print or they'll have a, a fee for shooting uh, on a per horse basis or they'll have an hourly rate or they'll have a daily rate that's a minimum fee um plus prints plus whatever. But you can yeah, I mean, you can be looking at a, at one hundred and fifty dollars to fifteen hundred dollars. It really depends on a a lot of Just factors. You know who who the photographer is, what you end up buying. You know, um, but I would and, say and an average. Go I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You, you, you know, you can shop around, and I think the, the most critical thing is to, to look at what the photographer's already produced and to see if that's what you have in mind, because, you know, the higher-end photographers all have their own certain style, and in the end, it really isn't about the money so much as the end product, you know, a, a photo that you want to hang on your wall and will be a memory. And with horses, you know, the, the only memories we really have after they die is those photos. And I think Scott can say the same thing. Every so often we'll get a call or an email from someone that really says that, you know, that photo is all they have left of that horse. And, and so you're, you're not really buying a print. You're buying a memory, and, and it's a whole emotional tie that we have to these animals, which is very important. So, I mean, you know, you, you can do your homework and, and check and see who's around in your area what you know you're going to be paying for the travel fees and the the session fee and you'd probably be surprised that if you can find someone local you can probably um get get a get a good photo and product probably all told for between four and five hundred dollars yeah okay i mean it's, it'd be about it'd be about like a portrait studio to tell you the truth right okay. um all right, you know. Scott, uh, I'll tell you what, you have to get off to Dubai, and, and we're plain running out of time. We could sit and talk like this for four hours, I think. Yeah, we That's, could. We, we just could. touched on the surface. Scott, you have to promise me one thing, though, yes. and that is you'll probably be coming down here when your exhibit opens at the Kentucky Horse Park. I will, Park. absolutely. Um, I'm actually going to the, – the show actually opens in March. Okay. But, uh, and I was going to fly back for it, but they asked if I would uh, tie it into an Arabian horse event that's going to be going on in June. So the actual artist reception is going to be in June. So, well, let me know um, so I can come over. Absolutely. Maybe we'll do an in-person interview. We'll sit down again. Uh, Wonderful. I'll, I'll just Wonderful. head over to the park. That'll be great. Well, we appreciate you being on with us and helping us out in this conversation. I actually have more than 10 things written down. Okay. I, uh, I could add one more, one more thing very quickly. Okay. And that is one of the things that people need to also realize is when a horse is done, it's done. 
And one of the biggest problems I see is horses. People keep pushing horses to try and get a picture when they have nothing left to give them. Okay. Well, horses are like two-year-olds. They only have about a 10-minute at- attention span. Yeah, that, that's so. about it. I mean, even yeah. a finely tuned oh, so, are so they're early. like hu- husbands, too. We have a 10-minute attention <laughs> yeah. span, and when we're done, we're done. We're done, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's good advice, even and if you're riding with, one. <laughs> with horses, I think expression is everything. You can take a good photo, but the really dynamite photos are the ones that show expression. So that's what yeah. we as photographers are always looking for, that, that split-second moment where the horse is flaring his nostrils and giving us that look. And, you know, that's, that's always what you're working towards, and you're lucky when you can capture it with your camera. All right, good. Well, Scott, thank you very much again. Yeah, my and, pleasure. Uh, Thanks for having we'll, me on the show. We'll talk to you soon. Have fun in Dubai.